You're listening to Distilling Theology. I'm Blake. And I'm Justin. And this is a podcast pairing discussions of theology and distilled spirits. And dad jokes. Amen. What's wrong with you people? You're not David. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. Fatality. You know, starting a podcast about theology and distilled spirits is whiskey business. (laughs) I said that with a straight face. This is Distilling Theology. Welcome back to Distilling Theology. Thank you guys for joining us. As you notice, we have a new intro, and uh, that is not by mistake. We are no longer a quote-unquote new podcast, so we were informed by one of our admins in the Facebook group. Justin, how are you doing today, brother? You know, I am doing very well, uh, particularly because I'm sitting right across the table from you, staring into your lovely eyes. Uh, I'm doing very well. Uh, It's been an exciting day. We've had some uh, really fun experiences today with some patron-exclusive content Um, so those of you who are interested, uh, in seeing our faces and seeing some really, really cool high production, uh, stuff coming out, uh, soon join us on Patreon. Uh, it's really neat. Um, there's cigars, there's scotch, there's mixed drinks, there's fire, um, literally, literally fire, literally lit. Uh, so join us on there and, um, see what it's all about. for Sure. Yeah. This is the way. Yeah, it's it's been a really fun day. We got to hang out. We uh we had a great time last couple of weeks um discussing distilling and discussing theology. Dude, uh, I learned so much. Yeah, uh with our friend Eric. Uh, <sighs> so good. Distiller, Come back to our us. Friend distiller. Um he he is an awesome, brilliant guy who who's incredibly yeah. humble. Um you know, I I can't express my thanks and my gratitude enough uh, for him coming on the show. You know, he he comes on like he doesn't know anything and then he starts uh stout uh, you know, um saying all these incredibly profound theological things. And then what he knows about distilling is just remarkable. So yeah, that was awesome. Uh, I'm sure he'll be on the show again um, in the future, but a uh, great friend of ours. Um, For sure. Can't wait to go visit him in person sometime. Um, so that was awesome. Uh, so yeah, if, if you guys want to see his glorious mustache, mm. uh, sign up for Patreon. If not, <laughs> otherwise uh, you can just listen to his glorious mustache. That's true. <laughs> Dude, no, it, it was a great, it was a great yeah. two part episode. I love that. And that was kind of by design, but it just worked so well that we mm-hmm. talked about distillation in a really like deep dive way. And we got this insight into the whole other side of the world that, that I, you know, I, I was marginally aware sure. of, but I hadn't really gotten that far into it. Yeah. And I just learned so much. And then this past week, uh, you know, last week from when this episode comes out, we talked to him about uh, theology and my man starts preaching. Yeah. It was awesome. It's almost like, it's almost like he's got a degree of some kind. I mean, he he knew his stuff and it yeah. was it was incredibly well articulated and it was yeah. awesome. And this will be the last patron plug until the end of the episode, probably. But <laughs> uh that episode twenty-eight has an extended forty minute version. This is like the, the Lord of the Rings extended edition. Okay, that, that oversold it. But but it was a great extended conversation that went beyond uh just the yeah. scope of episode twenty-eight. And also we were trying to keep the episode to an hour or less. So the extra forty minutes is Patreon exclusive and it is yeah. spicy and exciting. Yeah, really superb. Really uh, yeah. superb conversation. And you'll get some insight into uh some of our standings um, on particular issues regarding things and stuff. Oh, yeah, that's- <laughs> <laughs> you're, letting, uh, you're letting the day's discussion get to you. Blake, I'm really excited about today's drink. Uh, mm. It's something different for me. Um, it is a clear beverage sitting in my <gasps> room, Karen, right now. 
Blasphemy. Um, I am really intrigued. It smells interesting. Uh, why don't you tell me, tell us, tell the world, confess to us. <laughs> what's, what's in our glasses? So tonight is distilling theology history. So this is the first clear liquor uh, on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. And um, we're going to be tasting gin. Now this one is one that I used to use at the Speakeasy Cocktail Bar. It is Cotswold's Dry Gin. It's a product of England. It's a London dry style. And it won a bunch of awards, including the 2016 World Gin Award for Best London Dry Gin. There's a whole bunch of others that you can Google on their website. It is non-chill filtered. Uh, so all the flavor uh, from the botanical extracts and essential oils is suspended in the spirit, creating a beautiful uh, pearlescent cloudiness when ice or mixer is added. Now, we didn't do any of that. Just for those counting, this is batch number uh or this batch comes from January of 2019. And this the bottles in that batch, there were 2,880 bottles in this batch of Cotswold's Dry Gin. Um, you can show our patrons what the bottle looks like. Yes, we can. So for patron, you can see that. Uh, we combine our unique botanical mix and purest wheat spirit in our handmade Halston copper pot still and allow for a long maceration and slow distillation, resulting in a beautifully balanced gin of the finest quality. Um, so just for your background on gin, it generally starts from a neutral grain spirit that is infused with these botanicals. Um, predominantly, it's going to be juniper. Most London dry gins have a strong juniper note. Um, this is largely because the precursor to gin was a wine-based product called Genever, or Genever um, which, was Dutch, which is the Dutch word, or comes from the Dutch word for juniper. No so, wonder you know how to pronounce it. <laughs> Look, we have to sneak in one Wilhelmus Abrakel. Every episode. Uh, this is bottled at 46% alcohol by volume. And again, from the website, our Cotswolds Dry Gin is a delectable blend of nine carefully considered botanicals, including lavender from here in the Cotswolds and freshly peeled pink grapefruit and lime zest. I love this gin. I'm not a huge gin drinker per se. We were going to do it with ice, but you know what? We're just going to go neat. Uh, we're going to go We're going to go big. So what do you get on the nose, Justin? It's it's got kind of a sweet tartiness that I might get from like, this is going to sound kind of strange, uh, almost like uh, sweet like the little sweet tarts, the little candies. Okay. Um, yeah. There's definitely some of the really strong uh, citrusy like grapefruit type smell sure. um, that I would get from like, I almost like a like a grapefruit seltzer. Yeah. Um. Smells a little bit like nail polish remover. Yeah, there, there's definitely the ethanol <laughs> yeah. uh, aroma is very strong in gin. Yes. Like whiskey, the yeah. barrel aging tends to kick that out sure. um, because it's replaced with other type uh, other types of esters, as uh, we learned about in the last two weeks of our podcast with a distiller. But gin, you're, you're always going to find a little bit of a pininess. Yep. Um, yep. And like that fresh mountain air scent, which is something that helped me to get past kind of the nail polish remover ethanol smell. Yeah, no, I, I can see that. It it does kind of remind me of like a like a fresh morning on the mountain. Yeah. You know, if you while you're peeling you an orange. Have, yeah. You and I have both <laughs> climbed a couple of high peaks. Mm. Um This it, is the way. Similar kind of uh, ambiance uh, yeah. that you get from when you're climbing early uh, and you're in the in the woods. Yeah. Deep in the woods. Deep in the woods with a fresh peeled grapefruit. I actually have had oranges in the woods. Same. 
No, this is, uh, and, and as far as gins go, I've, we'll, we'll get to it on the palate, but I find this is a little bit more mellow than a lot of other London dry style gins. It's much more pleasant and approachable. Like the and, London Baptist confession. <laughs> <laughs> and I find it very approachable. It also mixes very well into cocktails. Sure. I used to use this all the time in the Negroni cocktail, which I take a little bit of a deep dive in, in our, uh, high production Indeed. value video. You did. Um, but, uh, that drink has some bitter grapefruit notes and this gin in particular plays up those notes very well. So I'll admit when I first smelled it, I was kind of taken aback, like, eh. yeah. but the more I smell it, the more I engage with it, the more intrigued I am, the more I'd like to try it. All right. Well, let's get to it, buddy. I'm going to cheers on this side so that yeah. we, uh, <laughs> we, we could cheers across, but we won't get that nice clean sound and I don't want to spill my laptop. So <laughs> cheers. It tasted a lot different than I expected. Yeah. So it kind of, okay, it kind of tastes to me a little bit like Fruit Loops cereal. Sure. Because you got that kind of fruitiness along with like almost like a little bit of crunchiness. Mm-hmm. That's really intriguing. There's there's a lot of the grapefruit and, uh, and sort of a citrusy, almost like a lime, mm-hmm. uh, just kind of sitting as it sits on the tongue. That's really unique. That's... It yeah. tastes a lot better than it smells. <laughs> well, now go back to the aroma having tasted it and see if you find anything like slightly different after. Because because taste and smell are so sure. related, sometimes yeah. you'll find a little bit uh, in the reverse. Like we always smell before we taste, but sometimes there's a little bit you find uh, when you go back to it. It's a little bit more inviting now. Yeah. A um, lot of the ethanol is gone. Sure. Sure. Yeah. It, it, uh, I'm getting more of the, the fruit and the yeah kind of sweet. Citrus sense, uh, sense. It's also worth noting that they, the Cotswolds Distillery, encourages you to taste it on the rocks um, because gin typically isn't served in these uh, Glencairn tulip glasses. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not usually designed to be concentrated that way. Yeah. Um, we're doing it obviously in this experience, but generally you're going to taste it on the rocks in a cocktail uh, with tonic. There's always going to be other things influencing it usually, um, and it's designed that way. Where whiskey is kind of like you want to sit with it, you want it to to sit in that that tulip glass. Um, I'm almost getting like a like a, almost like a vanilla mm-hmm. or or sort of sugar cream type as it sits too. As I as I've continued to sip here, well, let me actually read some of the notes from the distillery. Their nose has fresh notes of grapefruit with earthy coriander backed up by sweet piney juniper. A hint of perfumed Cotswold lavender. The palate is clean. Pine juniper spice with fresh citrusy grapefruit. A touch of dryness from the angelica root with eucalyptus notes from bay leaf. Subtle lime and lavender. And the finish is clean and balanced. Juniper, citrus, and some cooling notes from bay leaf and cardamom. We affirm. It's pretty good. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm impressed. I, I would actually... I would actually sit down and enjoy this once in a while. Yeah. Sure. Now, when we get back to the uh, the fire pit in a little bit, we'll we might pour a little bit of this on the rocks. Just enjoy it. Although we're going to be doing mezcal margaritas, so who knows? Yes, I'm excited for that. This is the way. So, what are we? Uh, what are we going to open up with in uh, prayer? Yeah. Today? So, uh, because we're transitioning from uh, general and specific revelation, uh, we're moving into the doctrine of scripture, um, which, as Christians, we believe the Bible. Uh, we believe that Scripture is indeed God's Word, and so naturally it follows. We have a doctrine about it. Uh, what do we believe about Scripture? Um, and so uh, I chose uh, from the Value of Vision, page 30, Christ the Word. We understand mm. 
Christ is indeed the special revelation that we have as as believers. Uh, he is the Word. Uh, the, he is God made flesh. He is, um, uh, you know, John one uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, <clears throat> we'll start with prayer there on page thirty of Valley Vision, if you have it. Ooh. My Father, in a world created changeable things, Christ and His Word alone remain unshaken. O to forsake all creatures, the rest is a stone on him the foundation, to abide in him, be borne up by him. For all my mercies come through Christ, who has designed, purchased, promised, and effected them. How sweet it is to be near him, the Lamb, filled with holy affections. When I sin against thee, I cross thy will, love, life, and have no comforter, no creature to go to. Hmm. My sin is not so much this or that particular evil, but my continual separation, disunion, and distance from thee, and having a loose spirit towards thee. But thou hast given me a present, Jesus thy Son, as a mediator between thyself and my soul, a middle man who in a pit holds both him below and him above, for only he can span the chasm breached by sin and satisfy divine justice. Hmm. Boy, is that relevant today. <laughs> May I always hold upon this mediator as a realized object of faith and alone worthy by his love to bridge the gulf. Let me know that he is dear to me by his word. I am one with him by the word on his part and on my faith on mine. If I oppose the word, I oppose my Lord when he is most near. If I receive the word, I receive my Lord wherein he is nigh. O thou hast the hearts of all men in thy hand. From my heart according to the word, according to the image of thy Son so shall Christ the Word and His Word be my strength and my comfort. Mm. It's so good. Always. Valley Vision is always great. Dude, every single time. There's mm. never been a bad Valley Vision prayer. <laughs> it, granted, it does help that it's a, literally like a compilation of, it's like a greatest hits of Puritan <laughs> prayers. So that does help. I'm sure there were some Puritan prayers that were not nearly that good. Oh, man. Uh, sure. what, what were the uh, the greatest hits? What, what was that... Um, the collection of CDs. It was for for kids. Kids bops. Kids, kids bops. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Or wasn't it called Wow or something like something. that? There were like fifteen of them. <laughs> no, sorry, twenty five. Hold on. Uh, now I have to know. <laughs> How many are there? Kids bop. Greatest hits. I remember they were advertising that when I was a kid. It's still on YouTube. Oh, and I know. Stuff. Let's see releases. Yeah, kids bop. Let's go. Kids bop. Forty. Bruh. Ooh. Bruh. Dang. Well, that was totally off topic. So uh, two weeks ago, <laughs> we were talking about special revelation and this idea that God uh, has his general revelation available to all of creation. We all have access to it. We all know that God exists, that he is, uh, that he is righteous and that he is just. Like there are certain things we can discern from from general revelation, but it's not enough to save us. Then we got into special revelation uh, and spent a few episodes talking about that concept. But Oftentimes I hear Christians um, who don't make any distinction uh, between revelation and the word. And while we are sola scriptura, right, we believe the canon is closed. There's no more special revelation. In addition, we're also cessationists. Which, oh, shoot. Which is an important, but it's important sure. and relevant here because yeah. we don't believe in additional revelation beyond yeah, scripture. Absolutely. Um, and this brings up an important point that Herman Bavinck talks about in The Wonderful Works of God and obviously in way more detail in uh, Reformed Dogmatics, which is that revelation is contained within the 66 books of the canonical scripture. 
but scripture isn't like scripture as a as a combination of books isn't equivalent to revelation right revelation is the god is the act of god revealing himself to his people in a direct like supernatural way scripture contains that revelation yeah. um and and that's an important distinction that uh ultimately if we're going to understand what's contained within scripture we need to be guided by the holy spirit yeah. right otherwise it's foolishness to us it, right you know what i mean like we can read the whole bible and come away atheists without the spirit uh guiding us the revelation contained within the scriptures uh, is meaningless to us. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of those things where a lot of times, like you said, people don't make that distinction and they should. <laughs> um, but it's something that uh, I think as reformed folks, we like to say we distinguish. Um, <laughs> so moving on from that, the Westminster Confession of Faith speaks to this, obviously, uh, several times, as well as the uh, London Baptist Confession, and yep. the other confessions, Three Forms Unities, Void yeah, Declaration, all those things, uh, they speak to uh, the authority of the Holy Scripture. Uh, and so if you turn to your Westminster Confession, uh, Article 1, uh, 4, it says this, The authority of Scripture, the Holy Scripture, for which it ought to be believed and obeyed, dependeth not upon the testimony of any man or church, but wholly upon God, who is truth itself, mm. and the author thereof, and therefore is to be received because it is the Word of God. I think that's uh, honestly. I said we weren't going to keep plugging the Patreon thing, but um, <laughs> I thought I thought that was such a cool conversation that we had earlier, where we talked about apologetics. Is really what we got into. But in the midst of that, there's this question of authority, right? And sure. and what is our authority as the Scripture? Now, where we make the where where Reformation totally departs from Rome on this point is that Rome claims the authority of Scripture. Uh, and, and we'll get to that in a second here, but Rome claims the authority of Scripture comes because the church affirms the yes. books and, and the canonicity right. of the books. Um, but the reformers differ on that point dramatically. Uh, it, the Scripture informs the church because it is the Word of God. The church doesn't get to dictate what is and isn't Scripture in the final analysis. Yes, absolutely. It does continue on Ooh. in one five. We may be moved and induced by the testimony of the church, to an high and reverent esteem of the Holy Scripture mm. and the heavenliness of the matter, the efficacy of the doctrine, the majesty, majesty of the style, the consent of all the parts, the scope of the whole, which is uh, to give glory to God, mm. uh, the full discovery it makes, the only way of man's salvation, mm. many other incomparable excellencies, and the entire perfection thereof are arguments whereby it doth abundantly evidence itself to be the word of God, Yet, notwithstanding our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority thereof, is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness by and with the Word in our hearts. Um, so, not only uh, does it touch here on the idea that Scripture is entirely self-evident and self-effective, um, right? Uh, scripture, um, I think it was, uh, was it C.S. Lewis who said, you need not... Uh, defend the the scriptures, uh, just loose them like a lion, right? And it will defend itself. Um, it's totally self-evidence, self-affirming, um, which would make sense considering the God <laughs> who who wrote the scriptures. We know sure. about his uh, total independence. Yeah. Um, but also, uh, it's not only by that that we know the scriptures, but also because of the inward work of the Holy Spirit, right? Mm -hmm. The Spirit works in us uh, and illuminates the scriptures in a way that we can understand uh, and then... Uh, apply the scriptures like 
Um, a good example is there's there's tons of atheists out there, for example, who who have read the scriptures. They know mm-hmm. the scriptures, but it's totally meaningless to them. They yeah. can't fully understand it, and they can't apply it, and so therefore, naturally, they have issues with it, uh, and they see it differently than you and I do because we have the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our minds to reveal and illuminate yeah. uh, the doctrines therein. When I think that as we get into it, uh, I realized I, I kind of half quoted Bavink, so I, I pulled up the passage from uh, one of wonderful works of God because Bavink makes an important distinction on this point. He says, Scripture is therefore not the revelation itself, but the description, the record from which the revelation can be known. However, when one calls the, the Scripture the record of revelation, he must be on guard against another error. After all, there are those who not only distinguish between revelation and Scripture, but also who separate and segregate the two. These acknowledge that God was active in a special way in the revelation which precedes the scripture, but for the rest, they hold that the recording of the revelation was entirely left up to the persons writing it, and that this took place quite outside the pale of God's special providence. Scripture, according to this view, remains the record of revelation, but an incidental and defective one. The result is that we must, at the cost of great difficulty, probe the scripture to see which parts of them do and which do not belong to special revelation. And, and so that's a, that's a point that um, Bob Inc. is like, all right, you know, we have to distinguish that Revelation is not an, a one-to-one equivalent of Scripture. Scripture contains it. It's not as though it contains everything that God has ever said. It contains sure. all we need for life and godliness, right? Yeah. However, it's, an, it's another error to separate them so far and to segregate them as though we treat the Scripture as fallible and, and, and messy. Well, I like what Martin Luther confesses uh, about the Scriptures. He says, the Scriptures are our vineyard in which we should all work, Right. And of course, we know that he he certainly did. Um, I think that's a great metaphor, especially um, coming from Luther. So we we have this 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 basically um, place where we should be investing our time, right? All of yeah. our efforts and our time um, in understanding uh, the scriptures and and essentially the the scriptures inform our faith and practice, right? They inform how we should be applying uh, our efforts in life and how we should be applying. Uh, the law and all of these other uh, doctrinal significances uh, in the way that we interact with everyone. Yeah, and I think that as we um, as we continue in this, we're going to obviously do this for at least another episode um, because the doctrine of scripture is kind of massive, and we want to make sure that we're careful, as with all systematic theology. But because the doctrine of scripture is kind of directly related to revelation and directly related to how we know what we know about God. Um, we'll probably we'll probably keep pulling from the confessions as yeah. like guideposts as we go in. Well, um, yeah. I mean, think about it. The Reformation was founded on the Bible, yeah. uh, in in the doctrine of Scripture, sure. right? That that was kind of the whole point. Right. Um, was understanding Scripture. Uh, John Calvin uh, famously linked Scripture to spectacles, right? Mm. Um, apart from Scripture, we misread the natural world, human Ooh. nature, and the Creator. So it's Scripture alone that gives us the clear picture of who God is, who we are, and God's plan uh, for the world. Uh, in the way that it truly is, right? Without Scripture, we stumble around in the dark. So Scripture is absolutely necessary for how we understand. That's the thing that bothers me about a lot of the progressive Christian movement, right? The the idea that um, somehow we can uh, uh, elevate Jesus' uh, words here and then just kind of put down Paul's teachings over here as if they're not equal in both God's Word, right? right. Um, we understand, uh, if if we say that Scripture's fallible, it's errant. Well, then you 
you can't have any of Christianity because right. the only thing that you know about Christianity is from God's word. Yeah. It's from the Bible. So if right. you throw out the Bible or any parts of the Bible, you got to toss out all the word. It, it reminds me of that absurd tweet that my, uh, my brother actually sent me um, a screenshot of, of this woman who was like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe that Jesus is the only way to God. I'm a Christian, <laughs> but I live my life how I want, except I don't hurt other people. I'm a Christian, but I don't believe the Bible is literally the word of God. And was she just got destroyed in the comments because people were like, okay, so I'm a, I want to use the label Christian, but I'm going to deny everything that Christians have historically affirmed. Yes. It was beautiful to watch the demolition. But, yeah. but really, like that's the insanity of progressive liberal Christianity is that we think we can separate Jesus from Jesus' words. Well, right. <laughs> right? <laughs> we can separate the word from the word. Like, it, and I'm not trying to be, to, Again, to be trite about one, it, right? right? I'm not trying to be trite about it, but like, that's absurd. Mm -hmm. That's, that's insanity. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father, but by me. That's what Jesus says. Yes. And Jesus also the word that became flesh, the word of God incarnate manifest in flesh, but we're going to separate it. Yeah. We're going to separate it out. <laughs> Blasphemy. <laughs> right. Well, those are those same people too that say like no creed but Christ and right. all that kind of stuff. The red letter Christians. We yeah. only, you know, we only affirm the red letters in the in the scriptures, which like as if that was not just something that people, you know, <laughs> did to make it easier to read. I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna get riled up. <laughs> um but like we understand, okay, so scripture alone, right? We're we're reformers, we 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 affirm scripture alone, sola scriptura, right? That's actually constructed based on uh, based on the words that describe it. Yeah. Um, it's authoritative, it's necessary, it's clear, and it's sufficient, mm -hmm. right? Uh, scripture is our ultimate standard in all faith and practice. Yeah. Uh, it's our ultimate standard um, when it comes to essentially everything, which is why we talked about it in presuppositional apologetics hey today. Um, and, and so scripture must be preached, it must be read, yeah. it must be studied, it must be published abroad, mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah. Because it's it's the means, right? Faith comes by hearing the word. Well, the word is what? scripture that we have, the doctrine of scripture, right? How are people saved? Well, the gospel by hearing the word. So what do we do with that? We, we have to study it. We have to know it. We have to publish it. We have to share it. Um, yeah. That's why I, I hate that phrase, uh, uh, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Yeah, Francis like, of Assisi. Right. That's nonsense. I think it's um, John Piper has a clip, a uh, sermon or a podcast episode where he's taught or, or you know, interview or something, and he says, no one's going to be saved by watching you help an old lady cross the street. No. Because the, because the content of the gospel and special revelation is a message. Like fundamental, what is gospel? It's a gospel message. It's good news. Right. Now, that said, what Assisi is trying to get at, and, the, and, and I think this phrase gets a lot of scrutiny, in it, and it deserves it because people use it wrong. I think what Assisi is getting at uh, is that, or Francis of Assisi is getting at, is that if your life doesn't look anything like the gospel. Sure. Then you're you're messed up. But unfortunately, well, James, right? Faith yeah, without works sure. is dead. Of course. And we've touched on that in our justification and our faith alone episodes. And I'm sure we'll continue to talk about it as we get into sanctification and all these other things. Yeah. Uh, it's all interconnected because it's almost like the Bible is one cohesive message that uh, from Genesis <laughs> to Revelation is declaring the wonderful works of God. Oh shoot. <laughs> <laughs> So on that bombshell, uh, next week, oh, snap. <laughs> we're going to continue uh, the discussion in some more detail about the doctrine of Scripture, um, a little bit more of the 
um, the nuance and the and the specifics uh, regarding um, what that looks like and, and how it plays out practically yeah. speaking. What um, are we tasting next week? We're going to be sipping. I am super excited about this. We're going to be sipping Belveni 17. Uh, Belveni, if you don't know already, is my by far my favorite distillery. For absolutely, now. yeah, absolutely. it's so good. Uh, I absolutely love everything they put out so far that I've had. Um, so I'm really excited for the 17 year. I, I've been wanting to buy a whole bottle, uh, but it's you know it's it's not cheap. No, it's um, it's very expensive. So I'm excited about that. Um, yeah, we'll get more we'll get more into that, and then um, for some other uh, in depth discussion on the doctrine of scripture. Where else can they go, Blake? So, as we mentioned week to week now, we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. This is a uh, feed of doctrinally sound podcasts from a Reformed perspective, and this includes the Reformed Brotherhood, Fast God Stuff, Sippin' on Theology, Reformed Pilgrims, Steady Anchor, and the Bobcast, and of course, yours truly, Distilling Theology. Uh, our friend over at our friends over at Sippin' and Theology just did a multi-part series on the canonicity of Scripture, and it is so good. Mm-hmm. And you should definitely check it out. We're going to try and get him on the podcast to join us uh, to do a little bonus crossover uh, information talking about the canonicity of Scripture. But you should definitely go check out all those episodes. So good, so amazing, um, worth the the time investment for sure. Absolutely. Um. If you guys enjoyed, obviously hit us up on all of our social medias, Instagram, oh, at Distilling Theology, uh, Facebook, Distilling Theology. We also have a Facebook group, Distilling Theology. Check us out there. Join in the discussion. Tell us where you stand. No, but <laughs> no, just, <laughs> come on and uh, talk to us. We have uh, a whole lot of fun on there. Uh, also sure. check us out on uh, just distillingtheology.com. You can get all our social media links there. Um, and then as if we haven't plugged it enough, our patron, uh, oh, shoot. <laughs> join us there. Um, and you can see what this cool studio looks like. That's right. Yeah. We're recording in a slightly different location because we are recording together for the first time. Also big shout out to my brother for helping to monitor the audio levels. And well, it's the first time that we've recorded together since like our first four episodes, Facts. but this time we're not using a single mic, uh, <laughs> sitting next to each other, uh, basically, you know, on each other's lap trying to record it. <laughs> for sure yeah it's super good yeah and we have our newest patrons johnny and Alyssa. so thank you guys for joining and helping support us on this show we're super <laughs> super stoked about it and uh again we're gonna have some super exciting content coming up um we have this new uh exclusive content that we recorded this extended conversation by the fire over scars that was so much fun anywho till next week whatever you do with you eat or drink do all to the glory of God. Solely dare glory, my friend. Amen.